Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our podcast, Moms and Murder, where we are going to be discussing part two of our Casey Anthony saga that we started in the first episode. Uh, With me today is, of course, Melissa. Hi, Hi guys. Um, And uh, we're actually going to open up with kind of explaining to you guys about a new segment that we want to do before we get into all this. Just a fun little thing that Melissa came up with and I really I don't liked be it. For <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be go really well. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what we're going to be doing with our new little segment? Guys, we're not very young, but we do know what hashtags are. So we started the I'm invincible when hashtag. Um, and what that basically is saying is the delusional ways we try to keep ourselves safe. For instance, some people put books in front of their door. So if somebody's broken in, they'll see that the books have flown everywhere. Or some people will go to a gas station and roll down their back window and decide if anybody breaks in, they will jump in through the car and take on the criminal. No one at this table does that. I definitely do not do that. So maybe it was me that does that. Um, So anyway, we wanted you guys to share your best uh, ways to keep yourself safe. And Mandy and I will discuss them every week and tell you if you are an idiot and if you should stop doing that or if you're just really well-informed and we're going to steal your idea. 
Right. This is just a fun way to get everybody involved um, with our podcast and with us. And uh, we really want to see people engaging with each other and with us on our social media accounts. Um, so we hope that everybody will start to participate a little bit more. And maybe we will discuss your uh, I'm Invincible When idea on the show. So either we can save some lives or we can laugh at other people's crazy ideas. And we all have them. So the first one I want to share, which is a pretty funny one. Um, it's I'm invincible when I wear my hoodie in a sketchy part of town. If you can't see me, you can't kill me, right? Amazing logic. <laughs> yeah. That's the same logic as a small child has that covers their eyes and says, you can't see me. So I'm going to say that that might not keep you safe. I do like that one though. Uh, I feel like you do feel a lot safer when you're kind of swallowed up by a big hoodie and you know, you can't really see your face and you can't, it, it just is that false sense of security. It false is very childlike, but yeah. I do like that one. That's a good one. It's good. I'm six foot tall, so I don't really blend in anywhere. I look like a monster coming down the street. And so I always just hope that those people see me and are intimidated by me. They're not, but I, I really just give it a shot. And I'm only five foot three, so I hide behind Melissa. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys wanted to get your I'm Invincible Win stories, on the podcast, um, you can give us a call on our voicemail at 386-742-9890 and leave a message about a minute long. Just let us know what what unique things you do to keep yourself safe or find us on our Facebook page or Instagram and um, just write it underneath the uh, coordinating picture. We try to do some funny pictures on those. Try to keep this part light because some of the stuff we discuss is a little on the heavy side and Life doesn't always have to be that way. Right. This is meant to be funny, not serious. Yeah. Yeah. Please don't <laughs> give us your real, um, your real ideas. Just the weird things you don't want to tell anybody. You can tell us and all of our listeners. We're just like a big happy family here. Right. And we get it because we're weird too. So, so weird. Don't feel bad or you know, awkward about sharing some of these crazy feel things. Feel a little awkward because <laughs> some of them are weird, but we won't judge you too harshly. So we will just get right to it. Um, I will do a quick little recap here and just kind of remind everybody what we talked about in the first episode of this, uh, which was really we did a major timeline breakdown of the day that Kaylee went missing. And then we also got into what Casey was doing for the next 31 days before, of course, it came out that her daughter was not around, you know, was missing right. or whatever the case was at that time. Um, so we left off on the last episode with Cindy Anthony's phone calls to um, 911, which she did three times. Um, the first was to report that Casey had stolen her car, and second time was to report Kaylee missing. And then the third phone call was that infamous one um, about the dead body smell in Casey's car. Right. So after that, um, it was really – everybody was kind of frantic, kind of trying to find out what exactly was going on. There was a lot of things happening simultaneously around this same time on um, July 15th. Uh, this is when Amy had discovered that her bank account had been drained by Casey. Casey had been writing checks out of her account, had been going to Target, making Having withdrawals. Having a good old time. Right. Um, and so she realized that, you know, she checked her bank account and it was at zero and there were several Ooh. checks written while she was on vacation. I'm surprised she didn't find figure that out before she got back. Amy must have had some money in her account because 
I would have figured that out very, very quickly. Right. And I thought that too, because of course they were very young in their early 20s. And I definitely did not have like a bank account that just had a ton of money in it, you know, when I was that age. You did one thing wrong and that thing was you were getting calls from your bank and you were panicking on how you were going to get that thing out of negative. Or maybe that's just (laughs) us, but I wasn't so responsible at that time. No, I definitely wasn't either. Although I did have my first child very early. So I was a mom. So I was very responsible at 22. You got, you, you got that on me, yeah. <laughs> um, so Amy had called the boyfriend, Tony Lazaro, Casey's boyfriend, right. um, and asked if he could confirm that Casey had the checkbook that was stolen from her car, and he did. So the detectives, of course, are trying to gather up all this information. Um, they're getting stories from Cindy, George, Lee, Casey herself, and they're trying to piece this case together. Um, and of course... Casey is still maintaining this lie that she works at Universal Studios and that, of course, she tells police that her daughter was basically taken by the nanny. And that's the story she's going with. And that's the story that she will continue to go with. Um, And she really leads the police and detectives on like a wild goose chase. It was so crazy. I just remember like the complete media circus and it almost was immediate, you know, right away. As soon as the the news broke, it was all over the place and it really got picked up. Just such a bizarre case. But um Everybody will remember that the police did take her to where she said she worked at Universal. They wanted to um, kind of confirm things there and see if she was employed. I guess they had already called. They already knew that she did not work there, but they wanted to see how far she was willing to go with this. And she was willing to go rather far. Um, So they, on the investigation discovery, they laid this out so nicely and they have the um, officers showing her at the front entrance of the employee area and they see her talking to someone saying, you know, I'm, I'm Casey Anthony. I just need to go back and show these police officers where I work. And they're saying, yeah, you, you know, you, that, that name does not work here. And she's just talking and talking. And finally a supervisor comes over and I guess she sweet talked them enough to let her in the back. So they start walking in the back, and the officers note on this investigation discovery thing that she's just waving at people and smiling and saying hi, and people are looking back at her like, who the heck is this person? And they just go down these halls and turns, and at the end, she turns around and says, okay, I don't work here. (laughs) What? I mean, (laughs) how did... I, I have so many questions about that. Like, again... This all goes to mindset. Like, what did she think? Best case scenario, somebody would see her and say, "Yeah, Casey works back here. She's she's been my employee for years." Like, I don't really get where she's going with that. Right. It really does make you wonder what her plan was. You know, was no I plan. guess <laughs> while she's doing this and while she's walking back with these detectives, like, she must have been trying to formulate, okay, what's my next move? And it just really is crazy to me. And I guess it really just speaks to Casey's character. (laughs) It reminded me a little of George Costanza and Seinfeld and just kind of making a position for yourself. And eventually you'd have a position. And she did a really great job of that until I guess she probably ended up in like a dead end and had nowhere to go. So again, if you have not seen that three-part docuseries, they talk to the judge, which I don't ever remember them talking to the judge, prosecution, and Cindy and George. It's really, really... um, It's must-see television. So at this point, after they wander down the hallway and she turns around and says, 
you know, I don't work here. The detectives looked at her and said, we know you don't work here. You know, we've always known that. And we need to go into, they took her into like an interview room or that's, wasn't an interview room. It was an office at Universal that they used. It um, became an interview. It became room. an interview room. And uh, they sat down with her, and of course, were like, "You know, you need to start telling us the truth. Right. You know, we know that everything you've set up to this point is inaccurate, and you're the only person who has the information that we need to find your daughter. And right. you know, do you even care about this at all? Like, you're not acting like someone who wants to find a missing child." Right. And they really were trying to get a lot more information out of her. And she just really was unwilling to cooperate with the police. She kept telling them lies on top of lies and just insisted that she did not know where Kaylee was. And I think one of the things that I had read was that she kept saying, I have no idea, which I don't know. Like I said, we're not detectives, but I read that that's actually when someone says, like, I have no idea or this is the honest to God truth. Like, that really is a telltale sign that they're completely lying. Yeah. And at this point, um, the detectives also told her that they had already checked out the apartment where she claimed that Zanny the nanny lived. And they said, you know, we went there. Nobody lives in that apartment. Nobody has lived in that apartment for quite some time. You know, you're not on surveillance video going there. Nobody has seen you or Kaylee um, at that address of that apartment complex. And basically the jig is up. You know, We, we know that none of this is true. So now at this point on this day, which was July 16th, 2008, uh, about 4.30 in the afternoon, Casey finally does get arrested. They uh, arrest her on charges of child neglect, false statements, and obstructing a criminal investigation. Um, Basically, they said, you know, to date, like up to this point, all of her statements regarding this whole entire situation have been proven false, and Kaylee Anthony remains missing. And basically, they just want her in jail because... They know she has something to do with it, yeah. or at least they have strong suspicions that she did. And since she's not cooperating, the best place for her at this point is just to be in jail until they can get this thing sorted out. Um, she was denied bond initially. I Yay. Yeah. She was ordered um, a mental health screening for the Baker Act criteria. And I think Baker Acting is just a Florida thing. I'm not positive. I did look it up briefly. I Googled it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can only find information about Florida. But for those who don't know what Baker Acting is, it is a special law that um, pretty much anyone can do. Of course, a judge or like a mental health professional right. will have to sign off on it. But if you believe that somebody is a danger to themselves or others, you can have them what they call Baker Acted, which is a mandatory 72-hour basically observation period mm-hmm. where they you know decide if you are mentally fit. I think Casey probably was not mentally fit. I don't think she ever got Baker acted, though. I guess it's really for if they think you're going to harm yourself or someone else. So maybe they checked her out and thought she was just going to be okay. So she is in jail. Um, Melissa here told me that she thinks she she was released from jail. I don't have dates on all that stuff. She did go to jail. She got bonded out. She went back to jail um, because they had arrested her also for the forgery of the checks. Um, And then eventually, of course, she had more charges piled on top of her, you know, that would come out in the trial, lying to police and all that stuff. Here's the thing. Her, the guy that bonded her out is named Leonard Padilla. I was obsessed with Leonard Padilla. If you haven't seen him on uh, Nancy Grace or he had his own show about bounty hunting that's on YouTube and my husband and I watched about three or four episodes the other night. He is hilarious, but he should not be. And at the end of every segment he was on Nancy Grace, he would always drop like a bombshell. So they'd say, all right, we're going to, we're going to break Leonard. Thanks for being here. And he would say things like, 
Casey told me uh, she knows where Kaylee is. Boom. And then it would be on commercial. And it would just crack us up because there, it was, I don't know. It just blew my mind. But if you get a chance to watch his bounty hunting show, it is worth your time. It's a real treat. It is. <laughs> he, he basically, all of his bounty hunters go into a home. He stands behind even the camera guy and just comes out once the cuffs are on. So he's, he's a real tough guy. <laughs> okay, so they did issue a search warrant for the Anthony residence on Hope Spring Drive. Uh, they searched with dogs, shovels that, you know, they had the canines out there. Um, they really did not find much of anything um, at the home, which, of course, we know. Right. And at the, around this time, uh, Casey had kind of gotten lawyered up and wouldn't really didn't speak to the police without her attorney present. So they were not allowed to press her for any more information at this point. It was up to her and her attorney to come forward if they wanted to share any information. So now it was just up to them to investigate based on evidence and what they have to go on, which still is not very much at this point. Well, and at this point, all the information she's given hasn't been true. So I can't imagine it's very even helpful to talk to her. But the attorney she got was a local attorney here, Jose Baez, who was a newer attorney, not one that we had heard of prior to this. And uh, I guess one of her cellmates told her to call Jose. And I bet Jose has to be the happiest man man to have ever landed this case because he got notoriety out the yin-yang for this. Right. This was definitely the case that was his rise to fame, you could say. And So Casey is in jail where she should be. The detectives are, of course, just... They're just doing their detective work. Um, and so some of this, like, we're going to just kind of gloss over a little bit because it's just a lot of what you would expect after someone's arrested. It's a lot of just, like, the legal kind of rigmarole that you go through. Her parents visited her in jail. Lee visited her in jail. At one point, she had been given a – had sent a list, basically, of people that she wanted to visit right. her. And it was just her parents and her brother. So she didn't want visitors from, you know, any other visitors. So Tony was no longer on this list. I guess not. Although I probably at this point, Tony was not really wanting Good anything to do with Good her. Good for Tony. Um, so that was that. George did do a interview without Cindy and, you know, some of the things he said were pretty incriminating. Yeah. He maintained his position that he thought the car really smelled like a dead body and being former law enforcement, I don't think that's something he would just say. That was kind of heartbreaking to see though, um, the interview, um, of him with the police and him just kind of talking police officer to police officer in a way or law enforcement to a law enforcement and saying, I know my wife's not really agreeing with this anymore, but here's the truth, you know, and he, he's wanting answers for his granddaughter where I feel like Cindy always wanted answers for Kaylee, but I think she wanted to protect Casey above all. I agree with that. You know, uh, there's no love like a mother's love. And like, you really, I can imagine how Cindy must have felt like this strong urge to protect her daughter and right. like to just have it not be true. Like yeah. I, I feel you would like hold you would... on to any little thing just for that to not be true. Yeah. I, I do understand that now that we're further removed from this case, I do understand some of the things they did a little more, not what Casey did, but I can understand the parents a little more and just their need for this to not be true. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? 
Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me, and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable, and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now, baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here, a brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great, gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. So let's talk about Roy Kronk. Uh, some of you will remember that he was the, uh, I guess, county worker. He was a meter reader. Meter reader. Mm-hmm. Um, And he had been recently assigned to a route that was in the neighborhood of the Anthony home and had been doing it not very long, uh, hadn't had that route for very long. Well, in August of 2008, so this is about a month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a couple months after Kaylee disappeared. He uh, was working his route just around the corner from the Anthony home. It's really crazy, shocking if you look at a map, just how close it was. It really yeah. was right around the corner. It you was. know, it wasn't very far at all. Um, I don't know the exact mileage, but it was close. Um, so on August 11th, this man, Roy Cronk, was actually called um, and did it, like called the police and said that there was a suspicious bag right. in the woods off the road. Well, 
what is it? Suspicious bag. I don't kind of, I don't understand it because even if you see a bag and you're like, what's that? Like I, maybe I'm just weird and curious and nosy, but I would get a stick and you know, yeah. I would want to know what it was. Get a stick. <laughs> you know? So I guess the right thing to do though, is to call the police. Yeah. Call the police. Don't mess with potential <laughs> Don't take evidence. my advice. Yeah. And, you know, don't go Her poking. Her advice will get sticks. you in jail. Don't do that. <laughs> right. So they basically kind of ignored him. They said, okay, you know, you need to call crime line, you know, thanks for calling. We'll check it out. And maybe they did get a lot of tips pouring in. So it was kind of just another one in a sea of different tips that they were getting. It just surprises me that they didn't take it more seriously being that it was right around the corner from where a child has been missing. Yeah. And you know, that seems like kind of a big deal. Like they would really want to check that out. My only thought is during this time, they're doing all these searches. So they're searching near the Anthony home um, I was pregnant during this time, but I remember thinking of volunteering to help during uh, this time. But the weather was really kind of terrible at that point. That's not why I didn't do it. I was, the whole thing kind of just gave me the heebie-jeebies. But um, in Florida, if you're not from here, our summers are hell's fire hot in the morning and then torrential downpour in the afternoon. And there's just no in-between. So during this time, the water had kind of, near their house had kind of flooded, like the areas were a little bit flooded. So if they're doing searches during this time, they may not have seen anything. Um, and so if the police officers are getting a call, but they're being told it's near the Anthony home, we've already checked near there. They're not, I mean, tons of people came from all over the country to search. They're probably thinking, let's just look somewhere else, you know, quickly look and move on to the next tip. Right. So they had searched the area. They had gotten dogs out there and everything, but they called off the search actually two times because mm -hmm. they just couldn't find anything. There was right. no reason for them to continue looking. The dogs weren't hitting on anything. So they kind of just dropped it right, right there. And that was in August. So now, meanwhile, Casey's in jail. They're preparing for trial. They're still gathering all this evidence. Um, and that pretty much for the summertime, that's just what happened over the summer, yeah. the rest of the summer. Um, and then you kind of didn't really hear much about the case after that, which was not really, of course, it's news. They pick up new stories. You know, yeah. this kind of, of course, people still talked about it. And like Nancy Grace covered it <laughs> minute Every by night, minute. Like loved, loved it. Uh, top mom. That's top right. Mom um, so that was the first time that Roy Cronk, or I guess the first three times were in August, three different days in a row that he called about this suspicious bag that um, he had found. And then nothing came of that. So some people will remember that it was not until December, right. December 11th, 2008, that they actually found Kaylee's remains. And what do you know? It was in the spot that Roy Cronk had said it was in months prior. Right. So some people do have theories. You know, I'm the theory girl over here. Um, some people have weird theories about poor Roy Cronk. I think he's just an innocent meter reader. I don't think he had anything to do with any of this. But there are people who think that he knew Kaylee's remains were there and just didn't push for yeah. them to find them because he was waiting for like a bigger payout. You yeah. know, no more time that passes. You're going to get, you know, whatever. I don't well, think he made any money off of it. No. Anyway. I, well, I think his life kind of got ruined there for a while. But I think that people wanted so badly to be a part of this this case that if he did see a suspicious bag or anything, it makes sense that he would call because he's so close to the house. You know, he's doing all that. But again, all of that area is flooded at that time by December. It's all dry here. We have very, very weird weather. But um, so then he, it was very easy for them to find her remains at that point for him to be able to show where the remains were. So while they're waiting for the trial to begin, it was crazy here in Orlando. People would go to the Anthony home 
knock on their doors, tell them the whole family's a piece of crap, bring their kids. Do you remember that? They would bring their kids with signs that said, basically, would you kill me too? Your kids right. don't and, need signs. And we're not just talking about a handful of people. We're talking the whole street is just littered with people. Yeah. Like just – and this is in front of their home, which – I just would have to come out. I can understand. George and Cindy did get really upset a few times. And, you know, they were on the news showing how George and Cindy were, like, going back and arguing and yelling and shoving people around and saying, get off my lawn, basically. You know, which I could just only imagine. That's your home. That's your safe space. And they just could not catch a break anywhere. Not even at home. a friend that lived down that road. And they just talked about how miserable it was. And they still get, like, looky-loos driving down that road just to see where the house was. So I can't imagine during that time living, being a neighbor or something, that would just be terrible. And it was constant. Plus you had media trucks, just, it was terrible. But more than any other trial, I remember you would see people at their home. I don't don't remember any other trial we've we've seen that really. And I think though that a lot of people did show up there because – of course, at this point, there was a lot of people who believed that George and Cindy were somehow involved in yeah. cover-up. And so, you know, they wanted to get their voice heard, like, right. you know, and, and let them know how terrible they, you know, were or whatever. Um, but it's just crazy to even live, you know, if you live in an area where something big like this has happened, it really is kind of like surreal. And like, I know my dad did drive by the Anthony home at one point. And he was one of them. We were, we were into it, you know, and I mean, and then just seeing like sightings of them and it's just so weird to see them out in the wild. Like you have an in the wild. I do actually. Um, shortly after the trial, I was out to eat at a hibachi grill and I saw Jose Baez. He was eating dinner and having a drink and he just looked very happy with himself, which I'm sure he was. Well, I took out my phone and just low key got a little picture of him. Sure. (laughs) As one does. Because who's going to believe you if you don't have a picture? Well, I would have believed you, but now I really just want to see the picture. If I can dig that up, I will definitely have to show that to you. If she Uh, finds that, it's going up on the Facebook page. Yes, absolutely. That's not the only um, sighting from this case that I have seen. And this is kind of a great segue into our next topic that we want to talk about. Um, I've also met George Anthony. Nice. There was a time after the trial, short period of time, that he had a booth in the Daytona Flea and Farmer's Market. And um, that's just like a thing to do because I used to live in Daytona and there's not a lot to do unless you go to the beach all the time, which, you know, that's an option. But the Farmer's Market is huge. It's the world's biggest. And there's a lot of stuff there, you know, that you can look at. So I went there one day and it was just a little trinket shop. It was really a bunch of odds and ends nothingness. Um, but I got a card from him and everything had his name on it and booth and that um, whole thing makes me so sad. I also for them to be in such a public, you know, area, because we didn't see them for a long time and then you just hear them emerge selling stuff in Daytona Beach and you think like what has happened here? Right. And this is a time that George and Cindy they were going through a very obviously rocky time. They didn't agree on what had happened to Kaylee. They really were not seeing eye to eye. They were both just grief stricken over this whole thing. Um, We'll back up a little bit because George Anthony actually um, attempted to take his own life at one point and left suicide notes and everything and, you know, just said that he just wanted to be with Kaylee. And, you know, you really can – I have goosebumps even saying that. Like, that's, like, just so heartbreaking. Yeah. And, you know, that Someone who had nothing to do with this. He's, like, been pulled into this case, this drama, this – every little thing in their whole lives has gotten thrown upside down because of 
their daughter. They've lost their granddaughter. Just, I don't know. I feel for them much more now than I did then for sure. Right. So now that a lot of time has passed, you know, we can find some compassion for everybody involved, you know. Um, Not everybody. Right. Not everybody. (laughs) So now we're just going to go ahead and get into the trial, um, which was three years pretty much after, it was about three years after uh, all of this happened. So it was quite some time. It took a lot of time for them to build the trial and build their case and what they were going to do and how they were going to present this information to a jury. Um, you know, and the jury selection process was pretty long. They, there was some talk about, because since it was such a highly publicized case, they did, you know, of course it's going to be hard to pick an unbiased jury, especially when you have all this information already out there that people can form judgments on. So instead of moving the trial or jury selection to another area, the judge, uh, Belvin Perry was who was the presiding judge on this case. He wanted to um, just have other people brought here. And then they were still going to do the process in Orlando. So Mm -hmm. they did that. They, it was 11 days that they took them to pick a jury. Yeah. Um, the trial date started on May 24th, 2011. They'd picked the jury and they were ready to get started. The most interesting thing to me in this whole jury selection and then actually the trial was the defense. We did not know what her defense was going to be. We hadn't heard the truth. Nobody's come out and said, this is kind of where we're going with it. So when we heard all of this, it was a shock. And I found out from the Investigation Discovery uh, documentary that George and Cindy found out their defense like the night before, which we'll get into what that defense is, but I I can't imagine showing up at the um, courthouse after that. Right. And it was a bombshell that was dropped. Basically, the defense came out and in their opening statements said that Kaylee drowned in the pool. And so we're all, you know, everybody was kind of like, whoa, okay. And of course, you're expecting that over the course of the trial... There would be evidence for that, (laughs) Um, you know, and one of the other like big bombshells that Baez dropped on everybody was that um, Casey's father, George, had allegedly sexually abused Casey, which they pretty much failed to prove that as well. They didn't prove that at all. They just went really dirty with the opening statement and just it was it was cringeworthy, honestly. It was tough to watch. And you just felt for George... There was just no evidence of this, but to think that she was going to pin all of this on him, who's been her defender and looked after her just so she could get out of, you know, get out of this situation she's put herself in. Even if it was an accidental drowning, she freaked out. Why would you put that on your dad? That just doesn't make sense. Right. And so... We haven't really talked about the theories of what happened to her, but this that is one theory that some people still believe, that she died in the pool, and then it was a big cover-up, and that George was involved and yeah. helped, you know, Casey do whatever they did with yeah. the remains and everything. Now, like we said in the first episode, I don't necessarily believe that to be true because of the timeline of that day that Kaylee went missing, and Casey was on the phone a lot that day, as we've come to find out, talking to her friends and everything, I don't believe that the baby drowned in the pool. Like I said, they didn't really prove that in the trial at all. It was just what they said. Um, And keep in mind, this is a first-degree murder with – they were seeking the death penalty in this case. And that's – is a really hard thing to do whenever you don't really have an actual... They don't have a cause of death. Exactly. They don't have a cause of death. They don't have a motive really either. And so – and they really didn't have anything that could connect Casey to her child's death. Other than – I mean – I think they had plenty of evidence, but other than, you know, that's just not how it works. You have to have more than just circumstantial evidence. But all you need is reasonable doubt. All, all the defense had to do is say 
it's possible that this happened and they just need one person to have it in their head just that it may have happened and the whole thing's over. Right. And then, of course, months go by before Kaylee's remains are found and there was really no – there was nothing to – it was just bones. So they didn't even have any, like, soft tissue or anything to go on. So an autopsy is really not conclusive in this case. So even after they found her remains, like, they really still couldn't say how exactly she was killed. Um, Oh, the famous Dr. G who's on all the – Yes. She had her own show for a while, the medical examiner. She um, was the one that did her autopsy, and she could not find a cause of death. I think she did say it was homicide. Right. That's her initial for sure. And then there there was um, some questions about whether that was actually the case when the trial moved forward. Okay. So they did – go on with this trial for a long time. And, you know, the Anthony family was just really thrown under the bus in this case. And there was just some really ugly things that were said about George and Cindy and everyone who was involved in this case. I think their lives got pretty much turned upside down from it. Um, She showed no emotion when her daughter was missing, you know, on uh, interviews or I'm sorry, on in conversations at the jailhouse that we saw um, with her family, never cried. People said, why aren't you crying? She said, I have to keep my energy up to talk to the police. Right, I have to be strong. I, I can't cry strong. every five minutes or yeah. whatever she said. Give me a break. Um, but then in the trial, the second they start talking, Jose talks about the abuse that she allegedly suffered. She was just hysterical. Oh, she turned it on. That. And oh yeah, she did. That was so tough to watch. And I just killed me for them sitting there and having to hear these terrible accusations. Well, and George and Cindy were instructed to not have a reaction. Like they were permitted to be in the um, courtroom because of course they were the parents of the grandparents, you know, Um, but they were instructed to not show any emotional reaction to anything. And I just can't imagine how hard that would be, especially whenever it's like these types of things that Mm -hmm. there are being said about you. Like, I don't know how I could stay in my seat and not just get up and strangle, you know, the person that's alleging these things against me. That would be another murder trial. They don't want to go through that. Um, So the trial was 33 days long. It started on July. Started May 24th, 2011. And the defense rested on, I'm sorry, everybody rested on July 5th, 2011. Correct. And so there was a seven-woman, five-man jury. They deliberated for 10 hours and 40 minutes, which really is not that long for a case like this, uh, and came back with a verdict of not guilty. I would think that if you're on this jury, you would say, guys, we haven't been in here that long. Let's play some checkers or something. Let's run up the time a little bit so people think we've been in here long. But yeah, not guilty verdict was shocking. I would love to be a fly on the wall in that room because... With such a short deliberation time, you would it would make sense if, like, a lot of them agreed already and maybe there was only one or two people right. who thought differently. And so, you know, they team up and try to convince yeah. this person to go their way. Holy uh, logic. Right. And I think where the main issue was with this was that the death penalty was on the yeah. table. And I think that was too high of a, mm-hmm. you know, they were reaching too high with their punishment. And But at the time, I thought go death penalty like that made right, sense right but, but it's after, hard yeah after you think oh man if they would have gone for a lesser charge she could have been you know still sitting in jail right and so and with all of the crazy things that came out about casey it still is hard to 
convince people to convict a young woman, you know, to death right. when you really don't have like solid proof that says she killed her yeah. daughter. You know, you really need that no like smoking gun if no you're going to right reason. Yeah, it didn't make a lot of sense. So when you think it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt, if you, you have to go with that. There's just no, you know, I think about that with juries and stuff where you think, oh my gosh, it's so obvious. But if there's any little inkling, they have to go with that. So, right. So she was sentenced to four years in jail for four counts of lying to the police. Um, the years would be served consecutively and would include the time she had already served, which already at this point was a while. Yeah. Um, so Not she long. actually was released from jail very shortly after the trial on July 17th, 2011. 10 what was that, 10 days later that she was released? I just, oh my gosh, people were freaking out here. We were freaking out here. Just, it just didn't make sense. You would think they would say, too bad you were in jail. We're going to start the clock now. At least till things calm down. That was the other thing. Things, people were in a frenzy over this. It was very crazy, and she, like, left the jail mm -hmm. under the cover of darkness. You know, she heard they had decoy cars, yeah. and, you know, even though it was in the middle of the night, there, of course, was a ton of media, and oh my gosh. I just remember the footage, and, you know, here she walks out of jail arm-in-arm arm with Jose Baez, and, you know, Ugh. that smug smile on her yeah. face, and, like, literally the look that says, I just got away with murder. Yeah. So now we're going to talk theories. Mandy has now put on her tinfoil hat and she's ready to get started. So Mandy, what do you think happened to poor little Kaylee? So I think George Anthony really hit the nail on the head with what happened. Um, he said in that ID discovery thing that we watched um, that he believed that Casey, of course, was responsible. Right. He said that he thinks uh, she gave Kaylee something and something being Xanax um, and Possibly this was something that she was used to doing and maybe did on a regular basis. Now, keep in mind, Xanax, of course, is an adult medication. Right. So if that was true, which I tend to think that that was what happened, um, Casey would have to, like, be cutting this up or crushing it in some way. And, of course, you don't have a clue what kind of dosage no. you're doing at this, you know, you're giving an adult medication to a child. So. Right. Obviously, you don't have it. It's not scientific. You know, right. you're just doing whatever you do. And George thinks that she gave her too much and Kay uh, Kaylee just didn't wake up. You know, and Casey, of course, panicked and frantically tried to get help. Didn't really know what to do. And it kind of all spiraled from there. I think he hit the nail on the head. And this is kind of where, like, the Tin Hatter people went wild with this Zanny the Nanny yeah. thing. Because the street term for Xanax is Zanny. How do you know that the street term for Xanax is Zanny? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know. Just, I know we know that from Google. We know that from the Google. Google, yes. guys. I have no clue about street drugs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody come after me for that. Um so a lot of people went wild with that and thought, oh, my gosh, like, Zanny the nanny, that's it. You know, because we know that Zanny wasn't even not a real person. No, nope, not a real person. So people th think, um, you know, that that was her term right. that she would say she's with the nanny when yeah. she really had her on Xanax. Yeah. And um, George even mentioned in that interview that Kaylee was a super healthy kid, but she would sleep like 15, 16 hours at a time, which is not normal. And if it is, happen. I definitely wasn't lucky enough to get kids no, that did that. My kids do not do that. I'm lucky if they sleep ever right, <laughs> at night or ever, anytime. Um, so there's that theory. That's what I think. What is? What do you think, Melissa? I feel like that makes the most sense. Um, prior to that, I did sort of think the drowning because I don't. I really don't think it was intentional. Um, I think it was accidental. But then it's one of those like the cover-ups worse than the crime. Um, not that killing your child is not terrible, but I do think it was probably an accidental thing. But 
based on negligent. I think she was negligent and um, something happened. So either I think she drowned in the pool, she made all those phone calls, freaked out, and uh, brought her to the woods, which they said, one of the crummier things is they said they found the baby, they found Kaylee with her blanket. Like, it almost seems like she was trying to comfort her in a way after this has happened. Um, but I, I'm more inclined to believe the Zanny the Nanny because that didn't even make sense. That that like that's such a specific name, Zenaida Gonzalez. Right. Zenaida is not a name you hear every day. So to shorten it to Zanny the Nanny, Xanax. It's very elaborate. All of it. The it whole is. story is just it's out there. It is. <laughs> but you have to wonder how long she was doing that. If she's bringing the baby to quote unquote Zanny the Nanny, is she giving her this medicine? over a long term. And I had a thought this week, guys. I've been very bothered with how everyone thought that she was able to pay for this nanny and like live her life without stealing from Amy every week. My theory is that George and Cindy were giving her money for the nanny. They think, oh, her daughter's working. She needs a little help. We'll help her. And so she takes that money and that's the money she's actually living off of. She's not it's obviously not going to Zanny the nanny, but she's living on it. And that's why no one really picked up that she didn't have money ever because she could steal from Amy, but not for very long. You know, we saw that she figured it out within a couple of weeks. So, Right. And I do think, you know, I would kind of was on board also with the drowning theory for a while. But then the more you we got into it and started researching and hearing some other theories, the less sense that made to me. Because yeah. like you said, even though it was an accident, the way that this has been covered up is kind of bizarre. You know, if even if a, with a drowning accident, which unfortunately is extremely common in Florida, it yeah. happens all the time. Um, sadly, this is my plug for making everybody get swim lessons for their yeah, children. For sure. Um, it's very, very important. It's a life skill, you know. But if that did happen, any sensible person, it's an accident. Right. You call 911. You get, you know, the first responders come out and help you. You don't, like oh, this was an accident. You know, I understand maybe being scared that like you're going to get in trouble or what are your parents going to think or, you know, they're going to somehow pin it on you because you weren't paying attention. And, you know, that might be the case and you might have to do some jail time, you know, but right. it's not murder, you right. know, so that's kind of a different thing than giving her Xanax. And that's an obvious thing. You know, you're going to get caught because whenever right. they do the autopsy and the toxicology, you're, you're going to be found out that you were giving your baby medicine that is not intended for babies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I would agree with you because it, it does make sense. If you're panicked over a drowning child, that's one thing. But if you're panicked because you accidentally caused this child's death by giving it an adult's medication, right. you, you need to hide things, and you need to hide them fast. Um, I do wonder, though, you know, they did find a hair in the trunk of the car um, that they said had a death ring is what they called it around it and said it would have belonged to Cindy, Casey, or Kaylee. Um and said basically that hair fell out after she died, right? Post-mortem. Right. With the theory being that Casey was driving around with Kaylee. Or transported her yeah, in the trunk at in some the trunk, point. Right. And so I wonder if that was ever tested for um, drugs. You know, they, they can test hair for different medications and stuff like that. And they do that in custody trials. I don't it's know. kind of, I watch of a lot unanswered of questions. TV. I never came across anything in our research that said that they tested the hair. I don't yeah. know if they did or maybe it wasn't enough of a sample that they couldn't really right. do that. I have no idea. Honestly, there's so much 
information. There's so much <laughs> we'll never know. But if you guys uh, get a chance, definitely check out the invas- investigation discovery. I was super impressed with how they did it. And like I said, it makes you think differently about people in the case, not Casey, but it makes you think differently about the parents. And I don't know, it kind of humanizes them more so than we saw them, um, you know, years ago. So there's the duct tape thing also, um, that it was confirmed that there was duct tape placed over Kaylee's face, um, covering her nose and mouth. And of course, some theorize that that like shows an intent to kill Kaylee. Um, potentially maybe she gave her something to make her go to sleep. And then while she was asleep, um, place the duct tape over and just let her suffocate in her sleep. Which, um, oh my gosh. That's not a, another theory. It's all just so weird to even try and piece together because a lot of the theories, they all make sense. I mean, they all could have been the case. Right. Of course, the only person who knows what really happened is Casey herself. And even if she came out right now and said, this is what happened, I don't know if anybody would believe it. That's what George said. He said, she could tell me right now this is what happened and I wouldn't believe her. So uh, one of the last things we really learned was that um, now uh, Cindy and George still have differing theories. George does think, like Mandy was talking about in the Xanax theory, and Cindy seems to think it was accidental and she freaked out. Um, They're actually still together, which was one of the most surprising things for me. I could see how that would break them up, but I also see, like, who else would you ever be with? Nobody's going to understand what they went through ever. Like, it makes sense that they would cling to each other. Um, But George has nothing to do with Casey now. But Cindy said she still talks to her on a regular, a fairly regular basis, which that has to be so hard because she's now talking to the daughter who can, who um, alleged that her husband abused her and killed their granddaughter. Just there's so many pieces to that. So that has to be like a mother's love to like the extreme. I don't. I don't know about that, but um, I I was glad, I guess, to see that they were still together. And I was glad to see that they were still together too. I think it really speaks to their marriage, you know, the type of marriage they have. And I guess from what um, Cindy said in that ID documentary, she is, um, I guess, a woman of faith. She said that she had prayed to God to please make this a justified situation. So she said, you know, let Casey be, if she is guilty yeah. of murdering her daughter, let her be convicted of it and spend the rest of her life in jail. But if it wasn't, you know, if this was not the way that it was being presented, then, you know, that that she would have a different outcome. And so Cindy is very comfortable and happy, I guess, with, you know, she feels secure in her, you know, decision to continue having Casey in her life at some level, um, I guess just for safety's sake, they probably never see each other in person. No, I don't think so. So we know that Casey for a while, so once she comes out of jail, she's gone. Like nobody knows where she is. So for a while, it was said that she was living at a church in South Florida, something like that. And uh, I think the Associated Press came and talked to her and kind of found out where she was. And then she kind of fled from there. She currently has her own photography business. So if you're looking for some good pictures, do not go to her. (laughs) I don't care how talented it looks. Don't go to her. But she also currently lives with the old investigator on her case. So weird. Right? That is so weird. She lives with him and helps investigate things on his behalf on social media. So Mandy and I are slightly worried that she Googles herself and is going to come across this (laughs) podcast So um, nobody share with her if you're friends with her. And if you're friends with her, tell us because I have so many questions. Right. We would love an interview with Casey herself. No, I wouldn't, Mandy. (laughs) I would 
Throw her the book. <laughs> oh my goodness. So guys, come over to our Facebook page, Instagram. Let us know your theories. We'd love to discuss those with you. Um, and also don't forget our new segment, hashtag I'm Invincible When. Let us know on Facebook, Instagram, or we have our Google voicemail, 386-742-9890. And if you listen really closely, you might hear our Florida rain that has now come in. It's a little bit early today. It's not even noon yet. It's a little <laughs> bit early. It's driving me crazy. We're gonna, we have to figure out what to do with our children for the rest of the day. So we are going to leave you guys here. Thanks so much for listening. Come back next week. We may even have a bonus episode up uh, fairly soon for you guys. Thanks again. We will see you guys next time. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.